this uh, week, this Chaydish, I wanted to speak about somebody who was a very unusual person in Karlsruhe's history. Um, I, I don't know how many of you here heard of him, how many didn't you hear of him? His name was Menashe ben Yisrael, Menashe ben Israel. Um, and uh, it was it's thanks to him that the Jews were let back in England. The Jews have been thrown out in 1290 by King Edward I. And this was, it would be 350 years almost, till they were sort of let in, had a lot to do with his Ashtonis. But, but his own life is an extraordinarily interesting life. And um, we'll speak a little about it. His parents were born in the late 1500s. They were Muranos. They were Muranos in Portugal. In Spain, the government had allowed the Jews the choice of going to exile or converting. The um, which you know going to exile, leaving Spain was 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 very very difficult in terms of where they would go, how they would go, and so on. But at least they had a choice. In Portugal, they had no choice, and his. Parents, grandparents were Muranos. The, the Portuguese f- forced everybody to be converted or be killed, and they were that. His father um, had been a Murano and sort of a secret Jew. He had gone to Spain for something, and they were chayshed that he's a that he's a Murano, that he's not, you know, that he's secretly a Jew. They tortured him. And when he got back, they let him go finally because he confessed or whatever it is. He he, he did tshuva, and they let him back to to Portugal, and he decided he has to leave. So he left Portugal, and he was uh, for some time in the islands near Portugal, and then he ended up in Amsterdam. Um, in 1604, Menachem Nizel was born. I think he had a bris later. I think his family slowly came back to Yiddishkeit, if I understand correctly. And he might have had a bris later. But they totally came back to Yiddishkeit in Amsterdam. And he had a Yiddish He's brilliant. Um, he knew, he's published in five languages. He was reputed to know in many more languages. He was, he was an extraordinary brilliant boy. At the age of 18, he became a Rav in one of the shuls in Amsterdam, um, which is quite a feat to, to go from being, I mean, you know, a family that was basically being Chosebetshuva to becoming a Rav at the age of 18. Um, Parnas and Rabbanis wasn't all that good. I guess it's not a new issue. And he decided to open up a printing press as a um, as a way to um, supplement his parnasa, printing press was novel in those days. It was not um, something that was common. Uh, printing presses were very expensive. Books were expensive, much less than manuscripts, but still was very expensive. And the printing press was just beginning to to become, you know, to to find its way across Europe. He opened a, a Jewish printing press, and he published a Siddur, he published a Mishnayis with a beer of hard words, 
he also it this also allowed him to publish his own firm I guess at a um, more competitive rate so to speak but the first book that he published book Sefer was a Sefer in Spanish it was called La Conciliator which meant the, the, the reconciler the one who reconciles and it basically addressed psukim in Tanakh that seemed to contradict each other. If a person were to read psukim in Tanakh um, the way they're, you know, just read them, there are a lot of psukim that contradict each other. So he wrote um, answers for all that. He explained it. He, he wrote it in a very, he wrote in a language that was extremely um, academic, or it, it, it did not, it, it sat well with Goyesh ears as well. And he wrote it in Spanish, and it, it, it meant, it, he became widely known even amongst the non-Jewish clergy and scholars for his work. Um, he was, he, he, people, especially Christians were very interested in this, I mean, the Jews, because they, there was Torah Shabbat and there's Chazal, and there's Rashi, it wasn't so, no one looks at a Syrian Pesukim and Tanakh as a problem, mm-hmm. so you have to find the Gemara, the Chazal, whatever. The Goyim, this is a big issue, and this was a, a, a very good work, and Bimele, he got a big reputation amongst the Goyish scholars and clergy, which eventually when the issue of England came up, it would, it would be something that would stand in his stead, and so on. Um, so he put out a mafteach on, on Medrash Rabba, a whole bunch of things like that, on his printing press. Um, there were, A, there were issues where, there were issues in, in um, Amsterdam, political issues, in the Kehillahs that got him into problems a bit, there were fights and so on between people, and Lemaisa he decided to go to Brazil. He was in Brazil. There was um, a there were Jews there, and people from Amsterdam, especially. You have to understand something. Amsterdam, at this time in history, was starting to become a major trading power. They had um, they, they, they traded. They had companies, they had colonies, um, and they were trying actually to wrestle away a lot of the power from Spain, which was basically disappearing, and they were big players. And, and in Portugal, the, in, 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 in Brazil, there was, in, in a city in Brazil, there was a large kehillah. He became Rosh Hashiva there, and he had a yeshiva in Brazil for two years. Um, in case anybody asks you what's the first yeshiva in North America, the answer is not Tarvadas, not Lakewood. It actually is, I don't know the name of the yeshiva, but it's in Brazil someplace, in some hole somewhere. That was the first yeshiva, and he was there. He came back to Amsterdam, and again became a Rav, but a very interesting thing happened, and it may or may not have had to do with his future path. A, a person came to Holland, to Amsterdam. He said that 
he was a Murano who had been in 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 America, North America, had explored um, South America, South America especially, and he tainted for sure that the Indians, amongst the Indians, would lost a Sarasvatim. The um, and it, his testimony, he swore in his testimony, he committed to writing, and so on. And um, Reb Nasheb in Israel very much um, believed in it. At he wrote a sefer called Mikveh Yisrael, meaning the hope of Yisrael, and this person's testimony and how there are, sh- there are Indians who say Shema Yisrael, and there are Indians who keep Shabbos and do this and that. Um, Indians means in South America as well. I, I, I don't, it, and on and on and on. It's, 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 it's a safer. It's not a big safer, but it's, it's, it's a safer where basically um, he, he describes everything that this person has said very, very much buying into it. He, um, he also believed that the Jews would be everywhere before the Gula Shlema and, and um, you know, they, 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 they would be part of the Mahalach of Golas is that the Jews be dispersed everywhere and until the Jews are dispersed everywhere, the Gula can't come. That seems to be part of, of what sort of he had been um, inspired by, by this person. He therefore um, sent letters to the Queen of, of uh, Sweden um, to let Jews in. And they, and the furthest, the country that was very far was England, that had no Jews, it was Judenrein. And he rode in to England asking for permission the Jews should come back. Now, Europe was in the midst of a big turmoil. Um, the Protestant movement had gotten off the ground. There was a, Catholicism was on the defensive. How so Catholicism in Spain and Portugal had come down very heavily against the Jews, Lashman or Harig. Um, Protestant movement, even though Martin Luther himself was a big anti-Semite, but there were cracks and it was different. So Amsterdam was a, a tolerant city, and that's why there were a lot of Jews there. In, in other places, it meant that for the first time, it was possible to be able to get some favors for the Jews. Now, the Jews had been thrown out of England in 1290. This was 350 years later, approximately. He wrote a letter in England. The king, the monarchy, had been interrupted for a while. Um, Charles I had been beheaded. And uh, Oliver Cromwell, there was a big fight between the people who wanted a republic versus the people who wanted a monarchy. Um, for a time, the people who wanted the Republic were Yodemala Yaina, and they had uh, they beheaded Charles I, and they had the head of England was technically 
a head of parliament. He had a title Lord Protector, and his name was Oliver Cromwell, and he was somebody who was deeply religious as a Puritan, um, and his views on Jews were ambivalent. They weren't the negative like Catholics. And there was another part to the puzzle. Um, the, 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 uh, the Jews were great businessmen and great traders. And it would be very advantageous for England to develop that. So letting Jews in had a tremendous practical advantage. So Menashe wrote to them. And he was invited to come and to try to convince them. He spent a few years over there. Um, he, so people, the clergy in, in England, the, they were now not Catholic clergy, they had an interest in the idea of this, the Jews coming back for the following reason. They, 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 there was going to be a second coming at some point, and it was felt that part of the second coming is the conversion of all Jews to Christianity. And if no Jews, there's no chavzah mitzvah, you can't convert anybody. You, you need to have, it's like a chicken for kapara. You need to have a Jew to, be, to, 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 to uh, baptize him. So they, um, so they, they were wrestling with, they, were, they wrestled with the question, is it good for England to let the Jews back or not? Um, Lemaisa, just to get a sense of the people, what, what people's feelings were like, there was one of the members of parliament, was Sir Edward Spencer, wrote a letter to Reb Nashim in Israel. Um, he called him um, my dear friend and brother. And first he speaks about how terribly Jews smell and how... Um, and how disloyal and unreliable they are. Um, he also speaks about the possibility of letting him to England, but there would have to be some strong conditions. The Marshal Bruce Miller would be outlawed. Um, any, any Jew who wants to convert to Christianity has to be let. And any Jew who does not convert to Christianity has to give up 50% of his money for the church. Um, that was that was already people that were positive, but Oliver Cromwell was um, was much more was m- much friendlier at least in the attitude. Lemaisa, it was a very interesting fluke in history. They they they, they had a commission, a committee study the question of the Jews coming back. The decision was there is no law on the books of England prohibiting Jews from living there. What happened was King Edward was a um, King Edward was a king. He published this law as a royal edict instead of as a uh, instead of as a law through the parliament. Now that the kings <coughs> were dead um, and it was only a parliament, so the answer was there's no law that says Jews can't live there. So they weren't willing to go ahead and to welcome the Jews to come, but they, the reply was that. 
he was hoping, Russia and Israel, that they would um, that they would uh, come out with a law that says the Jews can live there. They never did that. But in the wake of it, Jews slowly started dribbling back to England and began to become, uh, you know, open. There were, even when he came there, there were a handful of Muranos living kind of quietly. But afterwards, it's slowly, so, so even though he never succeeded, he thought he failed because he couldn't get a law passed. Lamaisa, the fact that they said there's nothing against it, Jews slowly moved back to England. And that provided, at some point, another tremendous refuge for Jews. Akapanim, he himself um, wrote some other sfarim. Before that, he's, he's famous for... In the world, he's written as a... Um, he's considered a very enlightened Jew. He, um, he, he spoke these languages. He, he interacted with the Goyim. They tremendously respected him. He, he was a person with um, tremendous dignity, and he presented well, and so on. Um, he was close. He was friends with Rembrandt. Rembrandt painted, painted a few paintings of him. Um, they have a famous painting. It's not clear whether that was one of them, but Rembrandt was a friend of his and painted paintings of his. <coughs> He, he was involved with something else that made him either hero or notorious, depending on, on who you talk to. He, there was, in Holland, in Amsterdam, there was a Besden in charge of um, dealing with people that are Picarsim. I think the, 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 the exact language is Safkonim, um, doubters. So th- th- there was one, there was one strange bird named Uriel da Costa. He was a Christian who had become a Jew, discovered his Murano, then became disenchanted with Judaism, then started saying the Torah is not true, this is not true, that's not true, other things not true. They put him into Cherem, and he was one of those who put him into Cherem. Was Menashe ben Israel was on that bed, they put him in Cherem. This Uriel da Costa came back again went back, back and forth. At the end, um, he was put into Cherem, and the isolation really, really got him down. He, it, it, it's some right that he committed suicide. Whatever it is, that, he was put into Cherem by Menashe ben Israel, who was part of, the, of that Bezdin. There was somebody more famous who um, was put into Cherem by the Bezdin, but Menashe ben Israel wasn't there. And his name was Spinoza. Baruch Spinoza. Baruch Spinoza was, it says, they write that he was a Talmud of, um, that he was a Talmud of Nashmi Israel. The only thing is, it also writes that he never learned anything more beyond rudimentary Judaism. So it's hard to believe that, I mean, he had a yeshiva, he wasn't a malamed, he had a yeshiva, so he was teaching Gemara minimally. So, so if he never learned, I don't know what it meant he learned by him. But he certainly was a member of the Kehillah there. Spinoza um, was someone who's, who's, who, who became a world-class philosopher, was recognized as a world-class philosopher, and he really was an apicorus in the total sense of the word. Um, his belief, he, he disbelieved, you know, Torah Shabal Per was just made up by the rabbis and that. Um, Akadosh Baruch Hu is just the sum total of the natural forces 
that's God. So he firmly believed in God, but God is the sum total of all the natural forces. Um, and, you know, and so on. Spinoza was put into Cherem, and he was not there then. People feel, the, the more enlightened people feel a little bit embarrassed that we put into Cherem somebody as world famous as Spinoza and so on. So the, the claim is, had he been there, he would have found a way to reconcile it. Very, very hard to reconcile somebody that's Kreifebeke with Yiddishkeit. <laughs> um, they did succeed in reconciling him. Um, a few hundred years later, in Hebrew University, they had a ceremony, and the, the, the head of philosophy department and many other faculty members got together, and they said... We ask for forgiveness for what we did. You're welcome back to us. And they're welcome back to Hebrew University. So in Hebrew University, he's reconciled. Um, but but um, he, it, it, that was a famous, I mean, he's world famous. Spinoza is not only famous in, Jew, in, in Jewish, it's, it's, you know, he's, 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 a, he, he, he's an Apicorus. He was one of the first Epicurusim on a world standard, and, and it was a it was a, it was a sheet. It was a total sheet where you know a, a, um, about about Torah, about Akash about everything. Like upon him, um, the the the, the um, Menashe in Israel um, was a, a, his forum were mostly polemic in the nature. He wrote a lot, not that much in Hebrew. Wrote in other languages. He wrote, I think he published in five languages. He, um, his other sefer, the one in, the, the most famous in Hebrew that has become a classic, is called Nishmas Chaim. It's everything about the neshama. In other words, what is a neshama? When does it come to a person? Um, what does it know? What does it understand? Through after death, does does any part of Shammah stay here? Uh, Gilgulim, Ibu Nishamis, um, Tchias Hamesim. You know, literally, Nishmas Chaim. It's everything about the Nishama. The um, It's interesting, in Zach Dama, he describes a bit about his life. And this is one of the sources where we have. We have that, and we have, in, in Mikvi Yisrael, he obviously describes what happened over there. He... Um, he uh, he writes at the end of it, at the end of his akdama, of his akdama, he writes that don't find fault with me um, that I quote from Goyesha sources. He says um, because I you know I only do an ad hoc basis uh, in 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 um, in the ruach of Kabbalah Sevesi Shamrei, like you know if it's true then accept it. But that's, that's you know, that's what I, I, um, I took from them. He quotes a lot. It's not only quoting, he brings stories and events. And the, the, the book also has, the Sefer also has all sorts of like, a Maise Shoy over here, something that happened there, um, a true testimony that you can read here. It, it's, it's not just the Lomdash Sefer. He sort of brings all sorts of anecdotes of things that he feels are Emmys, to sort of prove those points. So one thing, he also writes something along the lines that 
he took a lot from Kabbalah. In other words, he he, he had he, he had learned Kabbalah and, and you know he felt that that's where he was yearning from. And he says, and and my ikalimud is you know is 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 in halacha and gemara and paiskim and so on, which is very interesting. In, in other words, he makes a point of it that my ikar is in this and this I did because it's important. We 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 don't have any real works of his in anything other. We do have in Spanish. He wrote a um, he wrote uh, like a kitzur of sorts halachas. I think he might have written it when he was in Portugal, in, in, in Brazil. But that's, I think, from the list, I think that's the only thing that, that deals with halacha per se. He wrote another work called Chuas Yisrael. Um, Chuas Yisrael was a refutation of the, of the tainess of the Goyim about the Jews. You know, a, refuta- a refutation against all the anti-Semitic uh, tracts that had prepared and spoke about the Jews. That, that's what he wrote. What prompted Nishmas Chaim? Um, I wonder. In other words, it, it seems as if the, um, the, the first Kfira of Spinoza or the Casta was against the concept of an eternal life against the concept of, of, of Nishama, the way we understand it, and could be that's why he felt, could be it was an issue that other people wrestled with, I don't know. It's not something that, um, have a, 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 it, what exactly prompted, of old in Yanova Muna, what prompted this? V- very possible that the, this was the, the Achilles heel of wh- where, the, where different um, Kaifrim started out from. The um, a person like that. So, I, I mean, he, he was more. His his milieu was not the shiva world, not the world of Tamir Chachamim. Um, it was the world, the world stage of Christian clergy, politicians, etc., etc. So it's interesting. So of the people. Like, why do we feel so comfortable with the things he wrote? In other words, Nishmas Chaim is the only the only safer of his really that that we have as a safer. So first of all, the Chidor, who lived oh, sort of a hundred years later, the 1700s, the Chidor writes positively about him. Chidor himself knew everything and everything about everybody. Chidor was incredible. And the Chidor writes about him that you know. It was Choshev and this and that. He did so much. And he writes positively enough. Um, the Sholem Eishiv um, gave Askama on the printing of Nishmas Chaim. They printed Lemberg and he gave Askama on it. And Rabbi Sol Salanta w- took that safe as one of the few Sfarim in the Beis Musa. The Beis Musa Rabbi Sol Salanta built was meant to be just for learning Musa. The sfarim he had over there were Musa sfarim, and that was one of the sfarim, one of the few sfarim that were that were given a place over there. So Gdolli Yisrael obviously felt <coughs> that the sefer is um, is an incredible sefer. That's a sefer that's bechazik and it's on mark. I mean, he deals with inyanim that are um, you know if on the fringe Gilgulim. 
and 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 the ruach that's misabber somebody else. All these things are things that are sort of uh, Kabbalah and the Ramban when he speaks about these nyanim, he's mastered it a lot. He wrote about it, and, and, it's, and it's, his whole sefer is very, very methodical about everything you want to know about the neshama, but didn't have who to ask. Well, let me tell it to you, and and he goes through it, and and, and you know, peric after peric, and so on. Look upon him; he died penniless he, in England. He had no one to support him. Cromwell finally gave him a pension from the state, but by that time it was nifta. So he never actually got to use it. His son was Nift al and he went back to Amsterdam, and he was Nift afterwards. He was 53 when he was Nift, he was Nift in 57, Chafal of Kislev. Um, he stands in history for many things. First of all, as a child of Moranos, who had made it back fully. Um, that was, this is, this is one of the Nitche Yisrael that comes back, in a Ruchnistic sense. You know, his, his Parents and grandparents had been practicing Christians, secret Jews, and he was the one who came back fully. Um, his ability to um, his ability to write things that you, we needed for the world around us to be able to sort of counter their points and arguments. His um, nishmas Chaim, which became a classic, and it's a reference. But he opened up England again for Jews to live there. England for, for, would become, in the later years, a place where Jews found refuge and Jews were allowed to live and to, to conduct their business freely. It was to his establis, even though he himself felt himself a failure because um, there was no official law. But basically by saying that we'll look the other way, Usually, that was pretty much where the Jews uh, were able to go in, and 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 they slowly repopulated. Um, those th- th- that's the person. So um, it was an, it was an incredibly bright person, incredible scholar. Um, his his it was a pivotal point in in opening up the Protestant attitude towards Jews, even though. You know, many times it retained anti-Semitism, but he succeeded in in getting across a point that the Jews should be part of part of it. And uh, and the Nishmas Chaim that that remained a classic, and uh, it's uh, so it's kind of a very unique person. He has no, I mean, he learned by somebody, but it, it's it, there's no place to put him in the big picture where he fits in in the Masoras and so on. It's very hard. We don't know what he left. I mean, his, his, his children, we know one or two, and that was it, and nothing more. Um, so it's, it's kind of one of the few people who is sort of outside of the whole system, and yet um, did things and wrote things that made a mark and, 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 and have a zeich and a hemshech. His yard side is Chafal of Kislev, Yizich Baruch.